Good morning, my name's Andy. Uh, we are going to be continuing our series this morning in the book of 1 Peter. Let's just have a look at you. What a beautiful... Just have a little look around. Beautiful bunch of people. Look at them. So many different shapes of head. Exactly. Hey, I'm a world renowned. Yeah. Um, in Peter so far, Peter has uh, encouraged believers that are spread across Turkey at the time and saying, look, we know it's tough being a Christian, uh, but keep going. God's with you. Uh, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You've got faith. We know you're struggling. We know you're suffering. Uh, but then also, he's really starting now in these next chapters to talk about the community, the point is, you're not on your own. It's tough being a Christian. People don't sign up because it's going to be easy. But you're not on your own, so look around. <laughs> yeah? And so, really, he's going to start in these next few weeks talking about the church, the community of faith, the fact that you're not on your own. And so today, we're going to be really looking at the church, what is it? And um, I don't know what you think about the church um, it may be that you think the church is a building. You know, there's a church across the road up there. Um, and in that case, what we're doing here is kind of second best because we're not really in a building. Uh, it may be that you think the church is a meeting. So it's wake up and get yourself to church. You know, we're going, so let's go to church. Church is a meeting. It's, a, it's an event. It may be that you think the church is an organization or a, a kind of a, a structure, you know. So I wish the church would do this or I wish the church would sort that out. Uh, because the church is a, it's a charity or it's a structure, it's an organization. Um, it, some people would talk about the church as like a waiting room, uh, uh, but never quite sure what the waiting room is for. Because I think if there's a waiting room for uh, a job interview, then actually what you do in the waiting room in a job interview, you look around, everyone's trying to look as smart as possible, as intelligent as possible, as awake as possible, uh, because you want to impress people. And sometimes you think you come to church and, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you, brother. Praise the Lord. Everything's lovely. You know, you put on your sort of job interview fake face. Um, other people think maybe the church is a waiting room, but more like a waiting room to go see the doctor. So you're trying to look as sick as possible. Um, and so actually you're going, man, life's really hard. I'm full of pain. Uh, I'm only here really to see the doctor and so we look around and we just see lots of people with pain and need. And is that what the church is? Some people say the church is a waiting room, but it's a waiting room in an airport waiting for a plane. And actually, you know, you're at the gate, you're waiting, but really we're waiting for the plane that's going to take us to heaven. Um, and so actually it's just kind of a holding place. And you don't talk to anyone in the, in the waiting room at the airport. You're just looking at the screen and waiting for your flight to come up and so you can go to heaven. You know, maybe that's what the church is. And so I, I think... We can wrestle a little bit with, hey, what is the church? What is it that we're doing here? How should we feel about the church? And what Peter brings us to now in these next few verses, there's some very famous verses about the church as family, the people of God, a community of God uh, with many different shaped heads. And so let's, um, let's read these verses, and then we're going to get into just looking at what is the church? So 1 Peter, chapter 2, I'm reading from verse 4 to verse 12. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen 
and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So this honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, just turn to the person next to you and say, Beloved. Some of you didn't do that. I was watching. I urge you as sojourners, sojourners, sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. We trust it. We believe it. We believe it's your word. We thank you that people have read these verses all over the world for 2,000 years and taken them seriously. And we thank you that through them you teach us. So teach us, Lord. They're for us as well. We're part of this great story. Teach us, open our eyes. Lord, don't let the tyranny of familiarity dull our senses. Come, Holy Spirit. Let each dear, beloved child of God here hear what you're saying to them in the space that they're in right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. You believe that? You believe God can speak to you into whatever situation you're in going through right now, through these verses? I do. And so what is the church? We're going to look at five things from these verses. And the first is this. The church is an extension of Jesus. And so really it's about connection to him and through connection to him, connection to one another. See, the verse says this, verse 4. As you come to him, to Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So as you come to Jesus, you're being built into other people. And it's like, no, I thought I was just coming to Jesus. And it's like, yeah, but there are other people with Jesus too. There were people with Jesus long before you got there. And there will be people with Jesus long after you've gone. And so when you come to Jesus, it's never just you and Jesus. You come to him. There are other people that are also coming to him. He's the great center. And as we come to him, 
We're built together. Because the closer I get to him and the closer David gets to him, the closer we get to each other. Even if we're starting from really different starting places. We come to him, we're built together. And so that's true with individual members of a local church. All of us, one of the beautiful things about Reading Family Church, one of the many beautiful things is how many different kinds of people we've got here and how many different places we've come from to be here. And as we come, we're built together into like a, a, a multicolored wall, a beautiful, diverse building where we're built together. But also, it's true for the local church as part of the global and the historic church. So Reading Family Church isn't the first church ever, isn't the most important church ever, just in case you weren't sure about that. Um, there were churches before us, there'll be churches afterwards, and there are churches all over the world, hallelujah. And they're all different, they've all different shapes and sizes and personalities and expressions of faith, but we're part of an incredible global family. So we come to him, and we're built together with others. And so that's why... When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he didn't say, you're going to pray, my Father in heaven. What did he teach us to pray? Oh. Our Father in heaven. Because immediately when you're praying, you're realizing, oh, it's not just me and him. He's our Father. So I'm part of a family, and we celebrate the fatherhood of God together. Amen? And so personal devotion increases corporate connection. Because as I get closer to Jesus, and as you get closer to Jesus, we get closer to each other. And so this affects what we believe. We don't have the choice as a church to go, do you know what? All other churches believe this, but we're going to make up our own little doctrine over here, and you know, we're going to start worshipping Scott's trainers. That's going to be our new special doctrine. You think, no, we're not going to do that. You know, there's a, there's a body of belief that the, the church all over the world is part of, and it affects what we believe because we're built into that. We're connected to it. It affects how we behave. And so this is actually an incredibly security-giving picture, but also very much against our cultural narrative of individualism. And I can do what I want. I can believe what I want. I can behave how I want. No, actually, we can't because we're built in with other people. You've got one stone in a wall that's been built in over generations, and suddenly that stone's like, I don't want to be over here, I want to be over there. It can't do that. We're built in together. It gives us security. And in these verses, he speaks about Jesus being the, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, and then all other believers are like living stones that are built onto that cornerstone over thousands of years. And so the cornerstone, or the foundation stone, is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation, and all other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Any architects in the room? Am I making this up? Is this true? I don't know. I, I hope it's true. Thank you, Andre. In many cultures, and at many times in history, the laying of the cornerstone was actually considered a sacred moment. They'd make sacrifices, uh, pour the blood of animals on the cornerstone to make sure that the whole building, because if you get that wrong, then the whole building's going to be in the wrong place or set wrong. And particularly in sacred architecture, in, in Japan, 
there was a tradition called Hitobashira, in which they would take young women and bury them alive under the cornerstone of a building as like a, a sacrifice to the gods to make sure that the building would survive against enemies and against natural disasters. And, and so what we heard here is that the cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ. His birth, life, death, and resurrection from the dead. His blood, his sacrifice is bestowed on the church in order that it will be set right through history, through nations, through generations. The church has then been built upon him for 2,000 years, set in perfect alignment with this cornerstone, including us, including you and me. So our church, this church here, you and me, are therefore an extension of the work that Jesus started. So guys, this becomes huge because our joining to him is a joining to one another. And we are a continuation of the presence and the story and the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So if Jesus is solid and reliable, so is his church. If Jesus is a stone of stumbling to those that don't believe, so is the church, a prophetic presence. We treat the church, and I'm going to say this carefully, I thought about it a lot before saying it, I am going to say it, but we treat the church the way we would treat Jesus. We respect the church, we revere the church, there's a sacredness to it. Now think about that. I'm not saying... Assume the church does no wrong, cover up abuse, throw away your conscience. We know that there have been abuses in churches all over the world in our nation. What we're saying is the church is you and I, a people of faith. So treat one another with respect. Treat yourself with respect. You're part of something special, global, historic, and yes, sacred. It's easy to say, I love Jesus, but he's invisible. How are you going to prove you love Jesus? You love the church, which is an extension of him. How do you say, I love God who you can't see, if you don't love your brother who you can see? So we serve Jesus by serving his church, and we love Jesus by loving his church, and the church is an extension of himself. Wow. Number two. We're also told here that, that we're part of God's house, the temple, and this is really about being a worshipping community that knows the presence of God. And so verse 5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, quick recap of the story so far. Garden of Eden, right at the beginning. Uh, people walked with God. He walked with us in the garden. We knew his presence. No sin, no shame. The presence of God, the light of God. But then sin came, darkness came, and we were divorced, we were broken away, we were disconnected from the presence of God. So now the presence of God is here, and we're out there in the howling darkness. But God says, I don't want my people to be far away. So amongst Israel, he has the tabernacle, which is a tent full of light. Imagine the darkness in a desert. Don't know if you've ever been to a desert at night and it's just dark. And the people were living in the desert and it's dark everywhere, but there's one tent full of light in the center of the camp. 
And that's where the presence of God is. And you, you need forgiveness. You need to be cleansed from an illness. You need to offer a sacrifice. You come to the tabernacle. That's where the presence of God dwells. And then when the people of Israel came into the promised land and they built the temple on the mountain in Jerusalem, on Mount Zion, they were like, this is where God lives. You want to meet God? You have to come to this temple. You have to travel. You have to learn Hebrew. You have to offer sacrifices. You know, so there's the presence of God, but it's limited to a certain place at a certain time and a certain community. The Jews called the temple in Jerusalem the belly button of the world. So their point was, this is in the middle of the world. Okay? But then when Jesus comes, and what we see here is we've got actually the presence of God all over the world. So we don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to a special building because now through Jesus Christ, we're built onto that community. We're the living stones. We're the living temple built all the way through the world and we know the presence of God. And so when he quotes from Isaiah 28 here and it says, I remember when it was written in the scripture that God said, see, I'm laying a precious stone in Zion. What was happening in Isaiah 28? Why was that prophecy made? Well, the, the temple in Jerusalem had become corrupt. The, the priests, the power had gone to their heads. They'd fallen away from God. They were doing things their own way. And so God said to them, I'm going to get rid of you, and I'm going to lay a new cornerstone in Zion. I'm going to start a new project. I'm going to replace you. It's not going to be about the temple in Jerusalem and this special people anymore. It's going to be a new cornerstone, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and a new community that's not limited by geography, but is spread all through the world. And so this is the promise that was made. And with the resurrection of Jesus, we see someone who is both continuous and discontinuous, therefore, with the temple and the idea of the presence of God in the Old Testament. So just to be really clear, guys... You don't need to go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It's not more holy there than it is here. You don't have to go to Worcester Abbey, which has been there for a thousand years and is a very beautiful building, but that's not more spiritual than if you meet in your home with two or three people because Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, I am present with them. Do you understand? And we don't have priests. We are all priests. So when it says we offer spiritual sacrifices, he's saying the priests in the old temple, they used to kill animals. But now he says, you're the priesthood, you're the priests. We don't kill animals, but we can murder a melody, yeah? That's our spiritual sacrifices. We don't pour out wine offerings before the altar, but we can pour out sweet, sweet music. We don't make clouds of incense, but our prayer meetings are smoking. Yeah? So, just to be clear, we don't have priests. We're all priests. We don't need a temple. We're all the temple. We are God's house. He is present with us. And in the presence of God, anything can happen. Amen? Number three. The church gives us a source of honor or identity, a place of belonging. Whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So the third thing about the church is how it's a community that brings honor to its members. Um, there's a great deal in 1 Peter about the language of honor and shame. And what he's saying is that 
for many people, being a Christian is a source of shame. People laugh, people mock. Nobody respects you for your faith. People laugh at you, they otherize you, they alienate you. You crazy person, you get up early on a Sunday morning and go sit in a room full of strangers. Why do you, you know, what's wrong with you? And he says, actually, don't let your faith be a source of disgrace. Know that actually being part of this story, this community, this family, it's a source of honor. Hold your head high, walk with dignity and respect. I get to be part of the church. Yeah? Just turn to the person next to you. Ready? I get to be part of the church. You see, people have always got their sense of identity from belonging to a certain community. So the Romans, they were really chuffed to be Roman, like really gassed. They'd walk into a room and they'd be like, I'm Roman and you're not. You know, I, I represent this civilization, this this culture, this politics, this great city. You know, I, I'm Roman. Now, the problem with that is they would otherize and look down on people and go, and you're not. The, but the Jews did this as well. You know, we've got a story. We've got a history. God brought us out of Egypt. He formed us into a nation. We've got Sinai. We've got Moses and the prophets. We've got the book. You know, so what a privilege to be part of it. And they, they had like a dignity. I get to be a Jew. We've got this all the way through culture. So bikers, Yeah. I get to wear my leathers, I've got my tattoos, I listen to heavy metal music, and when I'm in a room and I see another biker, it's like, yeah, we're bikers. We've got our own language, we've got, you know, we've got a connection, you know? It's the same with like a roadman. You, you know, if you're a roadman and you see another roadman, you know, like, we've got the same Nike tracksuit, we're all wearing Jordan 4s, we've got respect for each other, got my burner phone in my pocket, whatever it is. Honor can come from being part of a prestigious family. You know, if you're, if you're here and you're a Hilton, welcome, uh, or a Rockefeller or from the Onassis family. Honor can come, a sense of prestige can come from your ethnic identity. So most Chinese people I know are very proud to be Chinese. Part of an ancient civilization, 5,000 years of culture, way ahead of the, the West, you know. Uh, uh, what Peter's trying to tell people is there is enormous honor and privilege to be part of God's story, God's people. You got the badge? Hold your head high. Walk into a room with respect. Do you know what I mean? I'm part of the people of God. Who are you? Now, it's not about remember who you are. Okay, this is what culture tells us all the time. Search for the hero inside yourself. Be yourself because everybody else is taken. Yeah, that's not what we're saying here. It's remember whose you are. Yeah. Remember to whom you belong and the community that you are part of. And remember that you're not on your own. And people forget. And that's why they need reminding. And that's why Peter's reminding the people here. Number four. What we see here is that the church is God's chosen people, and that this is really a community of people that have been rescued. So verse 9, these are wonderful, wonderful verses of Scripture. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so he's saying the thing that defines Christians is that all people have been rescued from darkness into light. So how do you get in the room? What qualifies you to be part of the church? What is the initiation ceremony? What's the exam that you have to pass? You need to be rescued. The thing that qualifies you is to go, man alive, I need rescuing. I'm in a mess. Who will save me? Who will rescue me? Rescue is at the heart of the Bible's story. Liz said last week, many of these verses refer back to the Exodus story, the Passover story. That's about rescue from slavery. Rescue is at the heart of the name of Jesus. Jesus' name means God saves. God rescues. It's, It's at the heart of what it means to follow him. So at the core of us as a people is a gospel of grace, friends. Rescue is the most important thing about our story. We've been rescued. That is our point of commonality. You might not have a lot in common with the person next to you. I mean, who knows? They might be a West Ham supporter. (laughs) But the thing we have in common, we have all received mercy. We've, We've been rescued. That's the thing that qualifies you to be in the room. We are all huddled in the lifeboat together, dripping wet, freshly plucked out of the ocean, and we're all grateful to be in the lifeboat. So it says, you were in darkness, and God rescued you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. And so we need to figure out, how do we keep rescue at the center of everything that we do? How do we make sure when we look at people in the church, we're not trying to judge them by any other standard other than have they been rescued? I've been rescued. And number five, the final thing about the church is that we see here there's, there's also a, a, an ensuring that we're not just inward focused, looking at ourselves and going how awesome it is to be part of the church, but that we remember that we are among the Gentiles. And so there's... there's witness. If we're an extension of Jesus, we're also an extension of his mission, his presence in the world, his love for communities. Um, Just make sure we've got the spelling right. It doesn't say whiteness, okay? Some people think, oh, becoming part of the church actually means we have to become part of whiteness, and everybody has to become the same, very vanilla and bland. That's not what we're saying, amen? It says witness. And we read in the verses here, verse 11, beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the tabernacle was this one tent with light in a desert full of darkness. And the people of Israel were supposed to be a people that walked with God surrounded by nations of darkness. And in the same way, the church is supposed to be a community of light in the midst of a world of darkness, with porous borders, with people that can be rescued and brought in, not turned inward on itself, but turned outwards to represent Jesus and his love to the world. And so witness is an essential part of what it means to be the people of God. 
Therefore, behave honorably. Treat people with respect. Be kind. Treat people with dignity. When you disagree with people, disagree graciously. And um, the late, great Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he put it like this. Do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. Amen? And so as an extension of Jesus, we embody his mission, we enact his love, and we extend his welcome. And now what we're going to do, we're just going to sing together to respond. So if the band could come, that would be great. Just a personal note. For me, this isn't academic. It's not just let's dig into these verses and present something to the church. Ever since I met Jesus, ever since I was rescued, age 17, and was baptized, I've chosen to love Jesus by loving the church. Wherever I've been, whatever part of the world I'd lived in, I've chosen to serve Jesus by serving the church. Because it's easy to say, oh yes, I serve Jesus, but where's the proof? And it's been a delight and an honor for me to be part of churches in different countries and be involved in serving churches in different parts of the world. But I would say this. I'll put all my eggs in this basket. Yeah, I haven't invested in cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. I've invested in the church of Jesus Christ. I haven't run after other little ideas or projects I've run hard together with the church of Jesus Christ. I, I, I want to pour my life into his church because his church is sacred and beautiful and precious. And we're part of a great story, friends. A, a part of something incredible that God is doing all around the world. And I, it really matters. If you love Jesus, love the church. If you have pain because of the church, disappointment, difficult experiences, we've all had that. There's no perfect church. As a leader in the church, I can say, I'm sure I've hurt you. <laughs> and if I haven't done yet, maybe I will next week. We, we hurt each other. We let each other down. But it's, guys, it's the church. Let's stand. We're going to sing to Jesus. We're going to pour out spiritual sacrifices as priests in the temple of God. Let's sing together.